Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Welcome once again to another Baseball America podcast. Along with Will Lingo, I am John Manuel. We have a very special edition of today's Baseball America podcast. We are joined here in the office by the founder of Baseball America, Alan Simpson, who was the editor of Baseball America through, I believe it was February of 2006. And now Alan is uh, back in the office working with us on a, and, and wrapping up a very special project and obviously a labor of love for Alan is Baseball America's ultimate draft book, chronicles the first 52 years of the Major League Baseball draft. And, you know, obviously, Alan, uh, we intended to have this book come out uh, as a 50th anniversary for the baseball draft and thought it might come out after the 2015 draft. But just so much information in this draft book that it uh, took <laughs> took a little longer to finish. But um, first off, tremendous job on, on wrapping it up. But second of all, just wanted to touch base with you on kind of what, you know, the draft has always been central to what Baseball America has done, uh, both since you started it and in the decade plus since uh, you left Baseball America. What's uh, What was it that got you started on being so passionate and so interested in baseball's draft? Well, I think it, it goes back to the original draft. As I say in, in the introduction, I was, I remember where I was from the first draft, Rick Mundy being drafted. I was home for lunch from going to high school and for some reason it clicked and uh, 16 years later when we launched Baseball America the draft became a very very central part of, of, our, of our coverage. Um, kind of odd in a way because growing up in Canada you know I would naturally have a, an affinity towards the hockey draft which I did to some degree. I, I was going to ask you were you as into the hockey draft as you were in the baseball no, draft? No, no I've had a fixation for uh, I was a hockey fan initially when I up until I was about 11 or 12 years old then baseball took over and the baseball draft was a natural out of, out of that. Um, everybody else probably had a fixation for the hockey, or at least the ba- football and basketball drafts. Um, and to a lesser degree, the hockey draft, the baseball was the last of the drafts to come into, into play. Was and, the and hockey draft 63. a lot like it is now? Somewhat. There was only, at the time, it was 1963, and there were only six teams back then. And the way that one used to work is the Montreal Canadiens, were the reason why they were so good, because they got the first two French-Canadian-speaking players in every draft. So it wasn't a, dra- a perfect draft in that sense. Sacre bleu. So, That's not fair. So baseball didn't quite go to that degree. But uh, Kansas City uh, Kansas City A's at the time had the first pick, which was Rick Mundy, and they followed suit with uh, Reggie Jackson. So they kind of knew what they were doing, sort of like Montreal yeah, had the really. advantage of knowing what they were doing. But um um, through the years, obviously, the, the draft, drafts of any kind have been, become quite topical, quite uh, as TV has blown these things up, the NFL and the NBA and stuff like that. Baseball has obviously lagged behind quite extensively, especially when Major League Baseball chose to make it that way. And, and uh, I think once the, uh, 
once things changed back in the late 90s and it, it, they've made some effort to really popularize the draft, it'll never be as popular as the NFL or NBA drafts because you're not dealing with finished products and, or known quantities. And uh, But I think the, the baseball draft certainly has come an awful long way and I think probably if there's a target, it's the hockey draft because the hockey has done a lot of things right, um, which I think baseball now is trying to do with... Uh, Having it in an arena type setup and, and bringing all your all your players there with their families and it's a great way of introducing amateur players to professional hockey in this case professional baseball. I think baseball will eventually get it right. I think when they get can get uh, the draft moved to a uh, an arena type setup with fans there and, and every one of the first rounders there with their families and stuff like that. But it's a ways off still. But at least they're moving in the right direction. Do you think that's going to require moving the date of the draft? This is sort of going into the ways we would make the draft perfect tangent, but we, we would get there eventually anyway. It, uh, but it's also topical. They just released the draft date last week. Next year it'll be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Right. It's going to be late. So it's the latest ever, you said? It June is. 12th? It is the latest. But I still think the All-Star Game, and I think probably you probably met, both mentioned that that's when it should be, is, is uh, right in the midst of the All-Star Game. Kind of a high-profile area. I think you could you would have an awful lot of baseball people there at, at the time and... and uh, so I think there's other, other dates have been advanced. It was, there was a date uh, 10, 12, 15 years ago, late uh, or late August was it was advanced. But I still think the the best right now is is where it is. But I still think the best date could be All Star Game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that first week of June is kind of anachronistic. I mean, the College World Series used to end the first week of June. Well, it yeah, it's obviously slated uh, for, for, or slotted in back there, and it's slotted there because all these seasons are just ending. The, the short season is starting about two weeks later. It's the only one of the drafts that, that is, is conducted really at the heart of the season. Right. right. You know, football and basketball, are, you've got some time to, to step away, and, and uh, hockey's the same, but baseball does theirs right in the season. So I don't know whether you, where you could move it to. Could, could you move it to July or could you move it to August? Uh, to get away from these players having to immediately step into professional baseball. I think that if that, if that was the case, you'd probably see a situation where you'd have more than 22 players over the life of the draft have gone directly to the big leagues, you know, mm-hmm. because I think if they had the advantage of a full spring training or back it up to instructional league than a full spring training, I think you'd see more players go step right into the big leagues. But that's the, that's the nature of having the baseball draft right in the heart of the season. So was the thing that captured your interest about the draft sort of what you put into Baseball America too, seeing the players at the at the entry level and following? Yeah, yeah. I just I, I, the draft really for any sport is the bridge that takes you from amateur to professional mm-hmm. baseball. I had great interest in both uh, both both things, so it was kind of a natural. I think that uh, you know if you follow the minor leagues, you follow college or high school baseball. The draft was a natural to, to be interested. In both those, and I recognized immediately that we're dealing with unknown products. Back in the day, gosh, I think maybe one or two people had heard of Rick Money beforehand, but nobody had heard of Les Roar, the number right. two pick, or or anybody else that followed after that. And heck, it was that came way pretty much until 1981 when we had a dramatic swing from call from high school to college players in the first round. And it's pretty you know, much conveniently been college. enough that was the year you started All American Baseball. Conveniently enough, <laughs> yes, that was a, that was the year, and that was also the year we had a 54 day strike at the in the major league. So in that sense, it played right into the, the hands of the paper. Because I wanted to ask you about that draft. I mean, the, those first couple of drafts, I mean, I, I, I don't mean to make the story about me. Like, I was very proud and happy that we had Mickey Moniak going 1-1, like in late May, when it was unsettled who would go first overall in the draft. And we have so many resources. There's so much talk about the draft. 
I mean, I was doing weekly spots on MLB Network this week about the draft the whole month of May, so I should have been in that mood. You were the only person covering the draft, and yet in 1981, you knew early in the year you had Mike Moore as a candidate. You had Joe Carter early in the year as a candidate. You had Kevin McReynolds, who went sixth on the cover of the first magazine. And 82, I remember going back and reading... Uh, was it J- Sean Dunstan, Jimmy Jones? Who were the guys at the top of that draft? I forget. There's someone else. The infamous Augie Schmidt was the Augie second, Schmidt, second right. pick on that. Uh, That's that right. So. One of two <laughs> Golden Spikes Award winners never to reach the major yep, leagues. Yep. <laughs> I know you know the other one. I'd have to put some thought Year into that. Year 2000, right-hand pitcher, University of Sliders and Curves. Oh, yeah. Kip Boaknight is oh, the other oh, one. Oh, Boaknight. Boaknight. Kip Boaknight. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but so I knew. So how were you getting that information so accurately Back then, that always boggles my mind. How were you... Well, I'll tell you it was a guess, because really three days beforehand, Seattle had the first pick in 1981, and they were, their target was Ron Darling. Okay. But he had an agent, which wasn't very common back <laughs> right. then, so uh, the Mariners guy. sort of shifted off and and went to uh, Mike Moore. and, and uh, But you did have a big we, Ron Darling feature that yeah, we, year. Yeah, we did. That, we targeted the draft right from the start, and we managed to... Uh, I made some contact with a lot of scouting directors in that first year, and they, they were more than happy to just tip us off because nobody <laughs> had ever come to ask them about draft information before. And, you care about my job? <laughs> <laughs> By we, you really mean you. I mean, I well, know you much, but, you know, I, I, I will give some credit to Peter Gammons and in the Boston Globe and Tracy Ringlesby in the Seattle, then the Post Intelligencer. We're doing some pre-draft coverage, but not extensive nationally, at least. But I just had made up my mind that we'd have some draft coverage from the start because I was seeing the NFL and NBA were uh, were getting some some attention for their drafts, and I kind of always asked the question, why can't baseball? You know, they're every bit as popular as those sports at the major league level and I was thinking gosh let's see what we can do to make uh, make the draft a little bit more popular the minor leagues weren't very popular at that time so I think we tried to popularize that, that uh, part of the game and the colleges all of a sudden were becoming somewhat more popular mostly I think because ESPN and televising the college world series and, and uh, well, there are all kinds of these ga- areas of the game especially the draft below the big league level we're simply not getting the attention i felt if some exposure these could become popular and i think the draft took time because major league baseball wanted to quash the information for another 20 years and right as yeah. as reporting for the draft started to increase at least a little bit major league baseball actively sought to well they did the and then, then sure enough out. because i think you'll remember back in your days of starting at, at uh, baseball america the most popular day for website traffic as limited as it was by far was the draft. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think MLB.com, uh, when, when they started launching things and doing, doing their own coverage of the draft, by far and away their biggest days were, were, the, were the draft. There was hidden interest in the draft, and I think it's just, it's, it's, it may not take its rightful place up there with the other drafts, but it certainly has increased exponentially over the years. The amazing yeah. thing to me is the NBA draft has kind of come closer to MLBs. They're drafting, their draft is so much younger. Right. It is international. I do that. It's a, you know, and it's also at the other time, same time. It's the complete opposite. It's a basically a two round draft. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love looking back at old NBA drafts and seeing guys who were seventh round picks and these yeah. kind of things, yeah. or eleventh yeah. round picks. But um, I almost, I, I do think that that shorter draft for the NFL and the NBA increases their, uh, you know, the how important it makes every round more every, important. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if baseball 
could ever get to those. Well, it's it's because the hockey they, draft takes so long time. Doesn't well, no, it's it's also seven rounds right now as oh, well. Okay. Yeah, but um, you know, I'm just I'll just break it down in terms of uh, the the re, some of the research I've done. The first round picks. You're basically every NBA and NBA or NFL first rounder plays in the plays in, in the their leagues. leagues. Yep. Yeah, the, the hockey's ninety two percent. Baseball's still sixty nine percent. So, so I think that's where what you're dealing with. You're dealing with products that are not ready to play, mm-hmm. and if, if, in a lot of cases, they're never ready to play. And I think that's the difference. Every player that's taken in the NFL draft is it essentially is going to play this year. That's it. And the NBA right. draft, they have to deal with the uh, finished products, those players that uh, that are going to have to play right away. You have the minor leagues, and there's the reason why you have the minor leagues is to develop these, the baseball drafts. And, and uh, so there's a, there's a huge difference there. And hockey is somewhat the same because you've, you've, with uh, three or four exceptions, you typically don't see the top draft picks play in the NHL the next year. So baseball is uh, a ways off in that regard. Yeah, NBA and NFL, you're drafting them to plug into your major Absolutely. league team Absolutely. right away. Yeah. Yeah. So unless you're the Chargers and Joy Bosa, <laughs> but I guess we won't, right. won't go there. So, so this book is laid out chronologically, correct? I mean, just if you want to just go over some of the basics, I guess, for well, people it is. who haven't already worked. Yeah, it's 65 through 2016, so that's 52 years of draft, and it's laid out in that order. There's a couple of features up front sort of, you know, just try to define how the draft has grown through the years and sort of the dyna- a lot of the dynamics of it. And I think we have one chapter uh, concentrated on what it was like before the draft came into into being. But I think uh, when you really look at uh, the baseball draft, most of the names have never meant much to anybody. But I think if you look at it in hindsight, which is obviously what we've done with the book, that's when the draft really, baseball draft is is really really becomes important. My, I'll make a case that it's every bit as much more intriguing reading as as uh, as football as the NFL and, and uh, the basketball drafts. Because you you know you go back and look at Cal Ripken was a second rounder, and you look at in yeah. 1978. Well, that didn't mean much of anything at the time, but it sure does now. Bob Boyce was the first rounder that year for the Orioles, and gosh, he didn't make it out of a ball and. and <laughs> So I, I, I think one thing that really puts it in perspective is this year's Hall of Fame class. You've got Ken Griffey Jr. is the is the first number one pick ever to ever to reach the Hall of Fame, and you got Mike Piazza as the latest draft pick ever to play in the Hall of Fame. So that points out exactly how inexact the, the baseball draft is. It, it, it's kind of shocking <laughs> how inexact it is in comparison to the other drafts. I mean, that's the thing that blows me away about it. And the sheer volume of the baseball draft, too, is comes through in the book because you have so many around, so many right. players. You have not only the great baseball stories, but you see all the people who were drafted in the baseball draft who went on to yeah, fame yeah. in other sports or even other walks of life in general. Yeah, you've had 70,000. We reached, went over the 70,000 mark in the baseball draft picks this year. That's a pretty <laughs> staggering number. And, uh, you know, for all the guys that have, did, have made it great, and uh, you've got a, a ton of first-rounders that are every, their, their story is every bit as intriguing as some of the players that, that did make it. So that's how where a lot of the book went uh, is some of the failures and why they failed and, and just the pressures that were on these players. And, and uh, you know, so we there's a balance there between the Chipper Joneses and telling the story of a Kevin Brandt who never made it out of rookie ball as a first-rounder and stuff like that. So it's... Uh, so this, this draft book really starts with the original draft book, which came out in 1989. Right. When did you when did you get the idea to do the original draft book, and sort of how did that process? Well, unfold? it was it was it was based on 25 years, so that was a good round number. I will we'll acknowledge that this was intended to be a 50 year, but <laughs> it didn't, 
but the sheer volume of, of the book is just... Uh, Did you hear 70,000 players? <laughs> That's yeah, volume. Yeah. yeah, they're all in there. So it's... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, but I, I think it was just my fascination with the draft, and, and uh, you know, I, it, through the early years of uh, Baseball America, we would we would print lists, various lists from past years, and it was the, the response from just the just the the people didn't even realize that these players were drafted in these years when because there's no history of the baseball draft of any kind. We didn't have baseball reference. We didn't have any of the internets that you could you could research most most of this. And material. even like the baseball encyclopedia. Or similar reference books, they didn't have all. They the breezed old draft over. Lists. Never had all the old draft lists. But I had gone up a couple of years beforehand to the to the commissioner's office and and uh, spent three or four days up there just going through all their files and and just copying all their draft lists, copying a whole bunch of other information. So it was it was in the works for a couple of years. I did a lot of microfilms and uh, and just went through. A, a lot of old newspapers and just pulled out relevant draft information, such as it was. It wasn't extensive in those days, but. Uh, but that, that's uh, piecing it together was, was was it was like being a scout. You're really hmm. digging and researching right. information and and, uh, and stuff. So it kind of came together as a 25th and and uh, and I think the big difference between 25 and 50. We were retelling a lot of the same stories through those first 25 years, but I've since got access to a to a, a lot of bonuses, and I, you can retell a, a, a draft completely by just looking at some of the signing bonuses. So the first 10 years of the draft and. The average first round bonus was forty thousand. Now it's two point whatever. Yeah, I was that was how I thought would be a good way to close. People love talking about signing bonuses, and that's really what the genesis for the draft was was the bonus babies. Absolutely. When it was just all amateur free agents were getting out of control. I wrote that. I talked to Rick Rickard. Rick Reichard. What was it? A year and a half ago, two years ago. Yeah. It was the anniversary, the fiftieth anniversary of the draft, and just him talking about how his. You know, how he was resented through when he first came into the major Wait, leagues for the signing doubt. bonus he had when his bonus was what two hundred five thousand dollars he was getting basically twice what most major league stars were getting just in a bonus. Well, the, yeah, the bonuses in nineteen sixty four were larger than the major league con- total of the major league contracts that year. So that's that tells <laughs> just you just the signing bonus. Just the signing bonus, and that tells you what precarious what precarious state baseball was at at the time, and they had to do something because the bonuses were just going out of sight. The minor leagues were, were just uh, falling, decaying, falling apart at the seams, and, and uh, you know the Yankees were winning everything in sight. The game had to change, and the draft was what changed it. And I think it's been pretty significant. How it's, uh, it's been a success. Do, what, in your mind, like so? Now, did you ever think, or did, did, that we'd get to this point where the bonuses are, where we have kind of this hard bonus pool? I mean, it seemed like the story of the draft when I started here, when you started here, well, in the '90s was just. Bonus escalation. Every mm-hmm. year was a bonus Every escalation year. chart. Every year. Now it's Major League Baseball that sets how much the bonuses will escalate. And it just seems like the owners are, okay, as long as we know what we're going to pay, yep. we'll pay it. Yep. Did yes, you ever it, think we'd we, get to this point, covering it? I, I sense that uh, probably something would happen because it had to happen, just like something had to happen in 1964. It took a long time for it, for it to happen. But when you've got the NFL and the NBA and – NHL really have bonus caps. It was logical something of, of, of uh, significance would come to baseball, and it pretty much has. And it's the most workable solution we've seen in, in 30 years at least. Right. It just took what it took. Uh, so from 10 years, just say Harold Baines was like the low point in 77, right? Didn't he sign for what, $40,000? Well, he signed, that was the White Sox. That was the White <laughs> right. Sox, I think, signed about Both six players Bay. this year, one of the 32,000, I think, <laughs> was Harold Baines' bonus. And uh, <laughs> 
I think Bill Gillickson had 77 as the second pick, so that that was more a case of the White Sox. But so so in '65 though, Rick Monday, he was right around 100 thousand dollars. He was 100. He was 100, and his record held up for about 10 years. And then, but still, 22 years later, Ken Griffey Jr. was 160 thousand dollars. Right. It was the next year after that that it ben really started McDonald, taking. Right. Well, no, Andy, was Andy Bennis was 88. Was uh, he, his his was a pretty significant jump, and everything after that. Scott right. Boris pretty much was the. So that's Which, definitely an era in draft history is the era of escalating bonuses. And then there's sort of the era of baseball trying to figure out what we want to oh, do. Oh, yeah. They were tra- especially in the late 90s. They were, they were, and, you know, it's, it's interesting when you look back at the success, you know, of sophistic, sophisticated scouting would probably logically make the, the success rate of first-rounders and high-rounders much better. But the two worst drafts in, in history from a first-round standpoint were 1999 and 2000. Right. Yeah, you know, they right. were less than, in those two years, less than half the first rounders played in the big leagues. Those are brutal drafts to look back at because 2000 I've been looking back at somewhat recently because those players are about to be done. But the mm-hmm. best players from that first round right. are Utley and Adrian Gonzalez. Yeah. And uh, well, yeah, Adrian it? Gonzalez was that compromised first round pick. Yeah, it was a sign. It was a, they were both signing high, well. heavy signability drafts. You see a lot of first right. rounders who ended up in the second round and, and right. vice versa. And they've, I think they've learned the error of their ways of, of not doing it that way. And see, I always think of 99 as a good draft because it started off with two guys who did become impact players in Hamilton and Beckett. But after that, yeah, not it started, so much. Yeah, it started off, started off good. But uh, then you look at 2004 uh, and 2008, we've seen 27 of 30 first-rounders in both those years. I know in Matt Bush's case, it took 12 years to get, <laughs> out, get there. But uh, but he got there. He got there, finally. So yeah, yeah, 2008, though, is the other one that was 27 out 27 of 30. 27 of 30. Well, that's good. We never saw those back in the day, but... Uh, that is pretty good. So know, those are the two best in terms of number of first-round picks reaching. Yeah, the first era of the draft was very much, it seemed like, teams trying to figure out sort of what is this process? Yeah, it was. It be, was how do we best approach yeah, it? Yeah, there wasn't, weren't, uh, the prominence of college players back then wasn't significant. They were, and if they'd been drafted beforehand, they were stuck in the secondary phase, so... So I think the first round was diluted a little bit because of hmm. uh, all the college players that ended up in the secondary phase. And in fact, you had one draft, I think it was 71, that every first rounder was a high school player. So obviously that began to change fairly quickly after that. Yeah, that's another thing we don't think about anymore. But there were multiple multiple dates of the draft oh, and yeah. multiple phases. Yeah. So really, 65 to 86 is a pretty self-contained era. Those first 22 yeah, drafts, with the four drafts, you had multiple drafts. So, you, you know, you didn't always have a January draft, right? When was that phased out? First, no, no it was phased out after 86. Okay, so it was. The first so, one was 66, and then it phased out in 86. So those first 22 years, that's, to me, that's like a whole separate era. The money in that era was basically the same. You had very rare exceptions of guys who stepped out over hundred, significantly over $100,000, right? Those yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah, ironically enough, it was, um, it was the... Uh, the reason why that they phased out the extra phases is because a lot of the first rounders in those lesser phases were equating themselves as first rounders from a money standpoint, gotcha. and then if you know you roll it into one, they were getting the, the money just took off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So regardless. And, but then eighty-seven to about what would you say eighty-seven to like ninety-six is this other period because the ninety-six draft is when it kind of started to. Go well, Brian Taylor in '91 is okay. was what really took it uh, from mm-hmm. uh, from a record of uh, or John Olerud's record, and, right. and uh, so that was the that was the the first enormous jump to 1.55, and then the loophole free agents of '96 right. put a, an entirely different spin on things. And, uh, and that 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 that, uh, that kind of that '87, if you wanted, to, I guess, include it, would you go like '87 almost to like when did the it's like 2006. 
was the last year without any signing deadline. So 07 was when the signing deadline started. 06, your last draft and follow class. That's kind of like yeah, a last draft, phase. Yeah, yeah, last draft and follow, and then we had the August 15th signing deadline, and then it was moved back to July right. 15th. So that's so like, August 15th was, was did not work. But like July, July 7th to like July 11th is almost like its own little self-contained era in the draft because you had the August 15th deadline, so all the top players signed yep. in the middle of August. But you also you had hard... But they were they were, you had soft softer slots. But you it's a different the, the deadline makes it a different period because before that if you didn't like your offer you just waited. You well, just that was held one out. of your main bargaining tools. If you really if you Time really wanted to hold out, you just drew, drew it out as long as possible. Time well, was your yeah, only your, your first uh, setting foot in your first day of class used right. to be it. Then all of a sudden Scott Boris came along and suggested, well, you don't have to go really go back to school at all. So you're saying. Right. So significantly more Jeff Weavers and and uh, Stephen, J- Stephen Drew, JD Drew, and, and and those those players who weren't using that as your your deadline anymore, and so that's why they had to. But that July fifteenth deadline coincided with the signing bonus pools, and so right. the two of those has, has, has really significantly changed this, things. This era, the since twenty since the twenty twelve draft is a much tidier draft. Oh, era. much much more so. Even with the whole Brady Aiken, Jason Nix, yeah. Jacob Nix. That uh, Astros 2014 draft. No matter how you slice it, this is a much tidier, well, look cleaner, at, look, more orderly draft year. It feels look like at this year, one player in the first six rounds didn't sign. Right, it was unheard of. Oh, was it, how many ago. in the top first ten rounds? It was like four. Four in the first it was, ten, I think it was. Yeah, and most of them did it well before the death. Oh yeah, too. much before. You, much much tidier the, process. I mean, so they've accomplished what, even though the money is significant, they've accomplished what they've. they've intended to accomplish 30 years ago. That's it. So how do we get to this point? The best way to find that out is to buy the Baseball America all-time draft book. What's the actual title? Well, Baseball sorry. America's Ultimate Draft Book. By Alan Simpson. Alan, the passion of Alan's... First of all, his passion for the game started this <laughs> freaking magazine and is the reason why we have jobs. But second of all, it's channeled into this book. So, Alan, we're excited that you did that book. Thank you for doing it with us, and thank you for talking about well, it. Well, thanks, guys, and thanks for all your help in terms of uh, your contributions. Well, I didn't do Jack. <laughs> thank Will. <laughs> thank Will, but uh, thank well, you. Well, no, you've, you've written a few stories through time there, John, and uh, I well, think I may have liberally pulled it. <laughs> yeah, and one thing to note, uh, you know, we've talked about the signing bonuses, about all the data that was collected, but also the stories in the book yeah. are really what make what one of the things that sets the book apart, because... It's not just a reference book. Right. It's not just a book of lists. And there are so many people you've never heard of who have fascinating stories because their career went south or they got hurt or whatever, and a lot of them are chronicled in the book. Yeah, that's right. It intended to be a cross-section of players that made it and players that didn't make it. And, and uh, yeah, when 13.6% or 13.8% of the players make it, that means you've got 86% of the players that don't make it, and a lot of their times their stories are everybody is fascinating. So, But we've got all 70,000 players in the book. We've tried to highlight which players play in the big leagues, how long they played, the highest, highest levels they reached, and we've got signing bonuses for a whole lot of them as well. I say look for the draft drops. When I was looking through sections, I loved the little draft drop, little insert into some of the lists. So even the reference part of it has little, just little snippets of stories, relatives, guys who played other sports. Yeah, because, because there are so many players and so many stories to tell, you can't tell them all, but the, in the draft list themselves, in addition to the signing information, whether they played in the big leagues, etc., 
for notable players, there's a little note for those guys just sort of set set aside from the list so you can find out more about which sort of the maximum amount of information possible. You, know, you got Mary Lou Retton's father, Ronnie, played was drafted, <laughs> for instance. He's in there. So I did not know that. <laughs> and we didn't we did not list. Uh, I'll, I'll throw this in that your son got a first round pick this year, too. And uh, Jeff Simpson, scout, area scout for the Milwaukee Brewers. Well, that's kind of a neat what, thing to chronicle to, to wrap up the draft. Pretty neat before. deal, but that was not going to make the book. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, a lot didn't make it, but a lot did make it because there's 70,000 players to chronicle. So, Alan, thanks again for joining us. For Alan and Will, I'm John Manuel. Wrap up this edition of the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.